today isn't the future of the kids that we have in our classroom. The future of the kids in our classroom is in a year or two years or four years or even 10 years down the road. And we got to kind of keep an eye on that future and think, well, what is it that they're going to face? What is it that they're going to need? Hello, everyone. Welcome to The Optimalist, a podcast where we have set out to explore the optimal way to educate in the age of AI. If you're new here, I'm Sarah Candela, your host through this exploration of the elements of human flourishing. Matt Miller taught in public schools for more than 10 years, teaching all levels of high school Spanish. In his career, he planned nearly 12,000 class lessons. He taught more than half a million instructional minutes, and he graded work for nearly 2,000 days of class. He is an award-winning author of six books, a Google-certified innovator and Microsoft and education expert, and was named the 2023-24 Top 100 Influencer in EdTech by EdTech Digest. His Ditch That Textbook blog encourages tens of thousands of educators in more than 100 countries to use technology and creative ideas in teaching. Today, Matt and I discuss the future of school and classwork with artificial intelligence, the important parts of being human that we have to hold on to as AI stretches forward, and how all of us have the power to mold our experiences through relationships, communication, and technology. We just need to support each other through this time of extreme change and embrace our ability to be adaptable. All of this and more on today's Optimalist. A lot of what I'm thinking about and talking about and creating and writing about right now is about AI, you know, generative AI and its place in the classroom and in education and all of that stuff. And, you know, you talked about the inspiration behind it. It's just like what you mentioned before, like almost a year ago to the date, ChatGPT came out and it was this first kind of like friendly, conversational, human-like face on artificial intelligence. And it was kind of like that first aha moment for so many of us. And I think for lots of us, you know, for me, it happened within weeks of chat GPT. I think it was like less than two weeks of chat GPT coming out. I had this moment, but for a lot of folks I've talked to in education, this moment happened at different points over the last year or so. I think a lot of us have had this kind of like existential crisis. Yeah. When we first came across uh, some of these AI models, you know, starting to go, wow, like it's, it's exciting and amazing, all these things that it can do, but holy cow, this is frightening. Look at all <laughs> that it can do. You know, what's it, what's it going to mean for the classroom? What's it going to mean for students? Are kids going to use this to cheat? Are adults going to use this to cheat? Yeah. That's the other question. Mm-hmm. And yeah. And then the bigger question, of course, with all that is, what is cheating? And should we even, what, you know, should we see some of the things that we see as cheating as cheating? And then, of course, you know, it, you spiral into the, well, what is, what is this going to do for school and for classwork? And you go a little further than that and you go, well, what does this mean for humanity? You know, like, what does this mean for us to, as, as humans? How's it going to change the way that we live our life in five years, 10 years, 15 years? Like, what does this mean for my yeah. kids? I've got kids that are in middle school and high school right now. What does it mean for my future grandchildren? Like what, what's their 
life going to be like because of all of this? I mean, by the time my grandchildren come around, AI is going to be so much more advanced and so much smarter than humans that it's, I mean, it's just going to be kind of like a whole different world in a way. And so what I'm doing right now is I'm really trying as best as I can to translate artificial intelligence for teachers. That's really what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to help them understand kind of like what it is and what it does. And in this current sort of like rudimentary stage of artificial intelligence, which is crazy to say because, you know, AI was sort of like developed decades and decades ago. I can't remember exactly where it was, but it was like in, I'm going to say in like the 50s or something like that. that, that Some of those, or yeah, original computer scientists started thinking about it and it's kind of crept along slowly. But really, in the next few years, we'll look back on what we have today and think that it's rudimentary. I mean, it's kind of like, um, this is kind of like MySpace. It's kind of like <laughs> Commodore 64, you know, it's like the, the Atari of, um, of, of technologies that, that we're going to see with AI. So I'm trying, I'm really just trying to help teachers understand like what it can do for us right now. Cause right now in the iteration that we have right now, AI is serving humans. AI is getting to the point where in some tasks, it's as smart as humans. In some tasks, it's still not. Um, but it still does what we ask it to, and we still train it, and it still needs us. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I'm really, really fascinated about is starting to think about, and it's scary for a lot of people to think about. And I'm kind of like walking into it with some trepidation, but also trying to keep my eyes wide open just to help other people and to help myself. But mm-hmm. it's like, what will it look like when AI becomes a lot smarter than us? What will it look like when AI is so smart that it doesn't need humans anymore? Um, and what's the, of course, coming from education, I'm trying to figure out like, what does school look like? What does education right. look like? What is the role that humans are going to play in all of that and everything? And, um, you know, honestly, I think, you know, with, with a lot of the, the stuff that, that I've heard you talk about, Sarah, with, um, you know, attention and, and mindfulness and community mm-hmm. and relationships and all that stuff, like that's, that's going to be an important part of all of it. But yeah, I, I, oh, I hope yeah. I didn't ramble too much on oh my all gosh. of that. No, I'm just sitting here. That's why I turned my camera off. I know no one listening knows that I've turned my camera off, but I turned my camera off because I'm literally sitting here focusing on all these bullet points I'm jotting down so I can make sure that um, there's a, I have a wide range of threads I could go back and pull on here. Uh, yeah. but I did want to go back and comment like, well, first of all, yeah, we could have this conversation next November yes. and do the same thing. Like, let's do a retrospective of where we were last year and we could be laughing at ourselves. Like, oh, mm-hmm. that's what we thought. <laughs> and, and that's this, that's similar to a lot of things as you're saying, like when we look back on them, but I think it's so, the difference here is um, not only how quickly it, it is going to change and the fact that we all have to adapt. I think that's when, when we talk about adaptability uh, on the optimalist and within our swivel community, like I think what we're trying to help people address within themselves is not just getting to the acceptance point of like, okay, I guess I should learn how to live and work with this thing. But it's also accepting that the rate of change is going to increase, right? And what we were so used to in education, dealing with things constantly in flux. But now when you add in something that's almost 
feels like it has a life of its own that we can't control at all. And that's in some respect, that's true, right? But um, now we have to almost be adaptable to the fact that we can't predict it. Um, like there's a whole other level of what we have to be kind of ready for. And that requires us to take on a new level of what it means to be an active, like human being. Um, and then the other thing I wanted to go just to mention about what you said regarding human beings, like I love what you were saying about how your, um, like tra the, the trajectory of your thoughts about like you're thinking about it in terms of schools and educations and kids and then adults and then widening the scope to thinking about all humanity. And that put when you said that, that like just a light bulb went off my brain because it reminds me of what I'm thinking about so much. Something that I'm actually enjoying right now and thinking about is how I'm how I'm able to now, even in just the context of this podcast alone, start to bring in people that maybe are a little outside of education, but they're they're dealing with the same thing. Um, people who are working maybe in another capacity with families or with parents or um, with students, but they're not necessarily employees of a school system, but they're all kind of handling this same uh, or working through these same issues of how do we, you know, I want to embrace this, but how do I fight my fear and, uh, and, and all of these things. And so I, there's almost like this coming together of people from all different sectors, like realizing like, okay, we can't just separate ourselves. We have to kind of talk to each other. Mm -hmm. Um, and not, and not just sit alone over here. And the more we talk about it, the more we can figure out how to become a stronger body of humans, I guess. I don't know. Is this, is this all kind of sound a little nuts, but, um, that's kind of what I was thinking about as you were mentioning that. Yeah. No, I don't think that sounds nuts at all. And I love that you brought up that, you know, everybody kind of, it feels like a lot of people have things to say about it. Um, mm -hmm. you know, like you said, going from, you know, the, the community, you know, from within the school. And I mean, even if you talk to students, sometimes they, they have, they have things to say about it. And we're all, we're all sort of, um, trying to figure it out together, I think. And I think for at least in the coming years, I'm glad you brought this up because I really think in the coming years, our best shot as educators to figure out what the place is that artificial intelligence should have in education, our best chance is if we lean on each other. Yeah. I really think, you know, if we come together as a community uh, and share best practices, you know, share what's working in our class and our school and our district, but also being transparent about what just didn't work or what we don't like. Um, you know, I, I've always felt that that's one of the strengths of just the education community in general is that we share things so openly and widely and freely. Mm -hmm. And even if that means just talking to the teacher next door or down the hall from you, that means shooting a text message to somebody you know that's in another district. If it's talking to people at a teacher conference, if it's presenting at a teacher conference, which side note, you don't have to be a content area expert to present at a teacher conference about the things that you're seeing that are that are working for you. Um, you know, sharing on social media, like all all of that stuff. But mm -hmm. then I think the other side of this too, and you alluded to this a little bit, Sarah, is that um you know, everybody seems to have thoughts about this. And I think it's super interesting, kind of like you mentioned, to go outside of education to hear what people are saying. I know it's really easy. See, I know you and I are um, real big on Twitter. Mm -hmm. I know Elon gave it a one letter name, but I'm not going to use it. I don't, I don't use it either. So I just, I can't. <laughs> um, 
But um, on on Twitter, it's so easy and probably the same way in lots of social media platforms. It's so easy to get stuck in your in your circles. It seems like in these social media circles, especially in some of the you know education circles that I'm in and um, in Twitter, it's starting to sound a little bit like an echo chamber, you know, how like everybody's kind of saying the same thing. They're all saying, oh, look at this one tool. It uses artificial intelligence. Oh, you can ask chat GPT for this one thing. And oh, you know, is this cheating? Is this not? It's like we're, we're kind of having the same conversations and they're all focused on what school looks like today. And I get that because, you know, there's still lots of folks that have to teach in class tomorrow and next week. And so it's a it's a real felt important need. But it also has me wondering, kind of like, where where are we going with all this? I mentioned all of this earlier, right? And so that's mm-hmm. why I kind of like getting outside of um, some of these education circles. Like, for instance, I, I read the book Scary Smart by Mo Gadot, who uh, used to work with artificial intelligence with Google. I'm, I'm listening to an audiobook by uh, Mustafa Suleiman who was involved in the deep mind project Mm. and the book is called the coming wave. I'd look it up on my phone and that's really fascinating too. And I think, um, yeah, it's, it's good to focus in on the stuff that's going on right now and the felt needs of today and everything. But I think we also have to, and this is the tough thing about being an educator always has been is knowing that today isn't the future of the kids that we have in our classroom. Yeah. The future of the kids in our classroom is in a year or two years or four years or even 10 years down the road. And we got to kind of keep an eye on that future and think, well, what is it that they're going to face? What is it that they're going to need? And with the way that, that AI is changing right now, it's going to be so easy to lose track of that and keep focus on today when in reality, we need to at least be trying to guess what are those kids going to need in the future and trying to provide them with it. Yeah. And I was going to go back and um, mention something you said about the importance of relationships, communication, and like maybe the role of community that that we think is going to play in the future. Because I, I see a lot of that even months ago, like at the beginning of the summer, there were some imprints of that. It didn't even have to do with education at all. Just everywhere that I would see people looking for or grasping for like opportunities now to do stuff in person. Of course, it's like you have that perfect storm of like post pandemic and then like intro of AI. And it's like there's this scramble for in real life experiences or like we don't want to do X, Y, Z only on Twitter anymore. Like, can we also do this offline? Like, can we start a local branch of this or like I used to do this book club that met on Zoom twice a month, but I really can't look at Zoom anymore. And also I want I want to know you people. There's this now this become this sense of like, you know, being behind the screen all the time, even if they're people that you also know in real life, like, you know, it can give you a sense that you're not you you don't actually have real people in your life. Like, where are the people? Where are the human beings? And I think that there's this resurgence of language of like, how do I build community? There's a group that I a local community group that I belong to that meets at the beginning of every month, like right down the block from me. And I've been there for, I've, I've been meeting up with them for a couple of months now. And I remember the first time I went, someone said, it's so weird that like people don't do this anymore. 
why don't you find more groups of like 30 people meeting at a bar or meeting at a cat, like where you don't see people meet with their, with groups of people just to hang out. Like people have to have an event to go to. Like there's no, I don't know. I'm, I'm rambling now because I wanted to make sure I, I also brought up that I do see that, um, you know, that is something like, and I think that community in general and looking for people that really know and understand humans and what we need, I think that's going to be something that you're going to see a wild resurgence of in the next few years of just, you're going to need a break from AI. Like you yeah. need a break from it. And I think we feel that now, but um, as I see more and more of that happening, I'm like, that's going to, it's almost like a, an industry in itself, you know? Yeah. Oh, for sure. And you know, tying a little bit back to that, um, topic I'm personally so fascinated with now is, you know, like as as AI continues to grow and develop and everything, what will school and what will classwork look like? And I can very easily envision a scenario where um, you know, if we if we start to see that the content part of school, I promise I'm getting around to what you were talking oh, yeah. about with community. I'm sure. <laughs> um but what if the content part of school becomes less and less and less part of a teacher's job. Mm-hmm. And if we're able to do some of the tasks that took a hundred teachers, and maybe we're able to do that with 20 teachers, and maybe it doesn't rely on a physical space in the same way. I mean, there's been talk already about the diminishing need for students' physical presence in school. We're already starting to see virtual academies and online school and yeah. You know, schools that are going to four days a week instead of five. And, um, I, I can even see a future where school, but I don't, I don't like the look of this future, but I could see a, a future where school buildings start to become empty, like shopping malls are becoming empty right oh, now. Oh, yeah. You know, but Never then it, it also makes me realize, you know, as, as humans, we have that craving for community, mm-hmm. just like you're saying. I promise I was going to come <laughs> back to it. And so it makes me start to wonder, like, what if the role of the teacher starts to shift away from the end all be all of the content? You know, like the content is so at the root of what the traditional teacher is, well, at least was in previous years. And we identify with that, right? Especially in secondary school. Like when I tell people yeah. I was a teacher, I almost never say I, t- I taught high school. I always say I-, I was a high school English teacher for 15 years, yeah. you know, yeah. you identify with that as part of your personality. Yeah. And so, yeah, exactly, exactly. And so it makes me wonder if our identity will need to start to shift away from the content that we teach and we'll be shifting more toward helping our students navigate their humanity, you know, which is already sort of a, some of us would call it a secondary um, role for a lot of us in education. Although in our hearts, I know many of us see it as a primary role of developing relationships and helping our kids to be great human beings. But it makes me wonder, like, if we start to get down the road a little ways and you know, maybe we don't need those physical spaces for, you know, sitting and learning math facts and world capitals and how to conjugate verbs in foreign languages and stuff. Um, maybe those spaces become sort of like social areas and community areas. And maybe the school starts to become, you know, in its physical nature, more of a gathering place and a community place and a place where we get, you know, connected and share ideas and stuff as, as humans, because we won't need the physical space for it the same way you go all the way back to the, 
the, the one room schoolhouse, you yeah. know, and it's like all of the information was stored inside that one teacher's brain. And mm-hmm. it was that one teacher's job to get all of that out to the kids. And now we're going in an opposite direction of it. And, you know, maybe that's one of the big shifts that, that we make. So I, I don't know about you, but when I look in my crystal ball and try to envision the future, I see us clinging to our humanity through community and that wouldn't be the worst direction. I don't think that, that schools, schools could go. You know, and as you describe it, what I'm also to connect it to the space that the, the space that we've been existing in for a while now in schools regarding things like mental health and social emotional learning and relationship building and all of those things that are intertwined that we hear and know, you know, have these spikes in like having you know, having issues with people knowing how to address them. Or I I was just thinking that maybe there's a reason like this is kind of existential and philosophical, but maybe (laughs) that's okay. But maybe there's a reason why we have been we find it so difficult to incorporate like a real, really incorporate an SEL, quote unquote, program without calling it a program. Maybe it's because socially, we have not been ready to do that. And and now what you describe is like AI comes along and eventually down the road, our model changes and maybe what we've actually needed is for there to no longer be a reason to say stuff like, we don't have time for XYZ, or we just really don't because the content is king. And so when we when we think about that all kind of shifting and moving around, maybe there's some real truth in the fact that we can't find the space to incorporate all of these things that we know are important, but it's really difficult to find a meaningful way to build routine with them. And so, and so really shifting the way we think about content and where it lives, I think is, I think you're onto something there. And maybe AI is, is going to be a help us solve that issue socially. It could. Yeah, absolutely. But I, I, I just keep thinking, I mean, you know, some people look at a, a future where AI starts to get smarter and smarter and you know, many, many, many multiples smarter than we are as humans. And they, you know, immediately start to think of Skynet from the Terminator movies, or they <laughs> might think of Ultron from the Marvel movies. And, you know, like all of the bots are coming to to take over and everything. But, um, and maybe, I mean, it could, it could, but I keep thinking like, if the, if the nature of work starts to change and we don't have to, I don't know. We we don't have to do the same things that we do day in and day out. And we're left to our... I mean, really, humans are still going to always be around humans. And if we, you know, for so many of us that spend so much of our time doing work, so to speak, to be able to earn money, to be able to take care of all of our needs and sometimes our wants, when the need for all of that, if that starts to shrink, we still have each other. Yeah. We're still a whole bunch of humans wandering around on this planet and everything. And so if the, the need for the work starts to become less and less, I mean, you think about the, the purpose of school. If the purpose of school for so many years has been to prepare us for the workforce, it depends on who <laughs> you ask. Some people might say that that's not our, our main, you know, highest goal, but, but a lot of people, you know, we have all of this, you know, like, career and future ready type stuff. But if that's been the focus of uh, school for so long, and if that becomes a secondary purpose 
to us, or if it takes up a smaller amount of time in our lives, then what have we got? We've got each other, mm-hmm. you know? And so maybe that renewed focus on people skills and working together and depending on each other and everything. I mean, you're already starting to see it in the workforce as it is. It's sort of a near-term solution, but it's also also might be a long-term solution too. Yeah. I'm sensing a theme, uh, no matter which way we turn this conversation, we keep coming back to that, not just the desire to be with one another and be human together and, and, and have real relationships, but also this mixing together of people in a way and working together with people in a way that I think hasn't felt as natural in a long time. Um, I think mostly because we have been, we've been in the era of, of adapting to, uh, behind the screen life. So, you know, all of you could get, you know, for 15 years, like your learn your last 15 years, you're learning how to have connections on Instagram. And now we're like, all right, well, that's not enough. And can I add something to that real quick? Yeah. You said that, you know, we've been trying to build those connections on Instagram and now that's not enough. And that triggered something in me too. It makes me think um, of all of the things that generative AI can create for us. I also wonder, looking forward into the future, and I think there are implications on this um, in school as well, I start to wonder if, I, I haven't really thought this through too much, so if this is a forced analogy, <laughs> then just bear with me, okay? But I start to wonder if we're going to have a little bit of the pottery barn effect here. Hmm. And here's what I mean by the pottery barn effect. I Honestly, I've rarely set foot in a pottery barn, but for some reason, I keep thinking of like those great big uh, terracotta glazed pots that I assume that you can probably get at Pottery Barn. Like I said, it may be a huge force analogy. So just <laughs> go along with the ride. I love it. We'll see. But but if if that's the case, there are probably in each store dozens, if not maybe hundreds of pre-created manufactured terracotta pots just like that. And if you go to all of the different stores, there's probably thousands and thousands and thousands of them that you can get that look all exactly the same because Mm -hmm. it's manufactured by a machine, Mm -hmm. right? And after a while, some of us, some of us, I mean, sometimes you got to go to Pottery Barn and you got to buy something and it works and it's cheap and it looks like everybody else's, but who cares, you know? Right. Might might make this comparison to like Walmart clothes. Mm. I, I don't know. Anyway, but at some point, some of us are like, I'm sick of this. It's the same old thing everywhere that I go. This stuff all looks the same. I want something made by hand. I want something made by a human. Mm. And if it's not perfectly perfect, I don't care. And you know what? Even better, if it's got a little bit of a story behind it. I mean, you and I were just talking about coffee, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I'm holding, Sarah can see this, but if you're listening, you you obviously <laughs> can't. I'm holding up a coffee mug. It actually does look a little bit like a handmade it coffee does. mug, but it's not. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's I bought it. I bought it at a gift shop in Florida, mm-hmm. uh, and it was pretty cheap. The truth but, comes out, <laughs> uh, right? Yeah, but this coffee mug right here does not really have a story, but I do have coffee mugs that do. Um, I've got a couple of friends who make pottery, and I've bought their coffee mugs at a significant price up markup. <laughs> over this coffee mug that I just showed you, Sarah. And um, I like them because they tell a story and because they remind me of that other person. And so big, long connection to make here. I wonder if, 
eventually with generative AI, we're going to be like, I'm sick of things made by bots that aren't human. And I'm looking for something that was made by someone who walks around in skin and bones like I do, Mm. you know? And so it makes me wonder if, you know, it's almost like that sort of artisan boutique effect instead of the pottery barn effect of, you know, maybe at some point we start to get sick of generative AI the same way that you just mentioned earlier, that we got sick of making connections on Instagram and we wanted to go back to human connections. And so, and I think that there's definitely, you know, education connections to this too. Um, you know, students, yeah, they could spin up an essay on, you know, on, on chat GPT about something, but when they write about something that they've lived, you know, an AI can try to fabricate something like that, but there's a reason that there's that, that saying, you can't make this stuff up, you know, that reality is better than fantasy. Like there's, there's still something very human there. And so I wonder if at some point we're all going to start leaning into that again a little bit more. And maybe that can be one of the superpowers of the classroom is that it's, you know, it really does especially if you've got that face-to-face element, the human-to-human element, even if it's virtual, like we have the ability to connect with each other still. And there's a lot that we can learn from each other that we can't totally learn from the AI. Boy, that was a huge rambling moment. I hope that was okay. I loved it. And I was, you know, it's inspiring me to to be so bold as to say that, I mean, I it's hard not to feel that us who are alive and living through all of this today and what we've gone through over the last 10, 20, like all of the developments, 10, 20, I mean, especially if you lived for, you know, the internet being brand new and then social media and, and iPhones and cell phones. And now, and now this, like it, it is hard not to think that we have such a power those of us, especially people working in and alongside education, um, mm-hmm. we have such a power having like the ability to know where things were and how they got here. And then knowing that we could probably, this is coming from exactly what you were just saying, like we have like the ability to, to influence the way people are going to live alongside and amongst and with AI uh, and each other. Like, I think that a lot of what we do and think and, and build over the next few years is going to be very, very impactful for like what you were saying earlier, the lives of, of kids that are in middle school now. Um, what we're doing now is going to be, is going to really change the way they live. I think we have a tremendous power in this generation. And don't you feel like that's kind of like the superpower of educators yes. and maybe one of our greatest responsibilities in the the coming years is I mean what what you just described right there that that we can the impact that we can have on kids that's like a heavy burden on our shoulders but it's a burden that we need somebody to bear that yeah. we need somebody to 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 be serious about you know and may, maybe this is our our greatest contribution to humanity i mean you know we we don't get into education for the paycheck obviously and the the hours are long and it's thankless sometimes but um you know the the ability to look back on it and say you know we went through a lot of change yeah there was COVID-19 and there was AI and there was all of this stuff. I mean, I could see a teacher sitting back reflecting on their reflecting <laughs> on their their career and going, I went through a lot. There was a lot going on when I was in the classroom and it was hard, but I helped usher some kids through it and I made them think about it. 
and I helped them as best as I could to try to prepare for the next chapter and to be ready for whatever came next. And like, I feel like that if you can look back on your career and, and be able to say something like that, that is a teacher's life well lived, I think. Yes. And I, and, and add into that the legacy of now I'm, now I'm flashing forward really. And I, I know, I know you encourage all of us to ditch our textbooks, but I'm now thinking of like a slice of a teacher's life in a textbook, uh, you know, a hundred years, what that would look like, like a teacher in 2023 who had been teaching 20 years before that, like all of the things that they have had out of not only that they've had to go through and, and adapt to, but that they've seen change the world that they had to work in. Because you're also not just changing yourself, you're watching the people who come in and out of your of your school building change and adapt as well. So there's such a complex organism that exists within any single building that I think it's hard it's hard to explain to people who've never worked in a school um, because you can't just worry about your own ability to shift and change and learn with whatever it is that society is moving through. You have to also think about, not that you have to worry about everybody that moves around your building, but you have to think about the fact that everyone is also going through it. And so when we, when we think about the thread of this conversation, which has really been, you know, humanity, um, and what that looks like now and what we need and how we can develop together and help each other, that, that really does make me think about the legacy of, of teachers of this time. And what what that would look like if it were a page in a textbook a hundred years from now or or whenever, like because there's no way that this is that we're not living through something uh super completely universe changing and expanding right. it makes me feel like we're all important in some way like this is it's important that we're all talking to each other, it's important to help each other move forward, otherwise, I think that. That sense of wonder, I think, that you, Matt, bring to a lot of conversations like this that can be hard for a lot of people, especially mm-hmm. teachers dealing with so much change all the time. You bring a sense of of wonder, but like accepting that there's, of course, trepidation and like there's nothing wrong with that. But like, hey, like allow yourself a few moments to really think like, what are the possibilities? And that's something that I really appreciate about your tone is like encouraging people to think like not just about how they can adapt today, but what is it that we we could do? Let's not be afraid of what, you know, 10 years looks like in a, 10 years from now looks like in a middle school. Let's think like what, you know, what is this tremendous power that we have and we're being given given to use. Um mm-hmm. and I think that that's like a good way that I would like to leave a conversation like this. Mm-hmm. What about you? Is there anything you'd like to add? No, I think I I think that um the the folks that are willing to you know step into that space and kind of like fill the gap between where we are and where we're going in service of kids it's I mean it's a it's a very selfless one and also a very noble one I think when you try to I I mean I have this this picture in my mind <laughs> sort of a, a a silly caricaturish picture of somebody with their their arms reached from one side of a ravine to the other and they become kind of like the bridge mm. you know and it's hard and it hurts and um kids are going to walk across that bridge but you know they do it in service of of them and i think the the teachers that are willing to be that bridge that are willing to help kids get from where they are now to where they need to be to survive and thrive um 
I have the utmost respect for you. And I hope that, I hope that as, as if, if you're one of those people, um, as you go forward, I hope you understand that you'll make mistakes doing it. You know, we, we can't see the future, but we have to try. And so, you know, mistakes are going to be a a big part of it. And I think our best bet is to try things, learn from it, share what you can and just continue to continue to move forward. Cause maybe the worst thing that we could do is just stay where we are Mm -hmm. in fear of making those mistakes, you know? So, um, so yeah, I just I have the utmost respect for for anybody who's willing to consider these conversations. Yeah, so do I. I echo everything that Matt just said. Before we do completely close out, just a couple of things that we like to ask of our guests before we say goodbye at the end of an episode of The Optimalist, but maybe we could start by having you tell us a couple of things maybe if you want, you could say no. But I have a feeling that you won't. But a couple of things that maybe you are consuming these days that may or may not have an influence on your work. They don't have to be professional. But is there anything that you're reading or uh, listening to or watching that you would recommend um, for any reason? It could be even just for for relief from all of this. Yeah. Um, so related to our conversations about artificial intelligence, um, I've been really fascinated about by, by reading posts on Twitter by, um, Ethan Mollick, M O L L I C K. Uh, Ethan Mollick is a professor, I believe, at the Wharton School. I think it's mm-hmm. at the University of Pennsylvania. Yeah. Um, don't be mad at me if I got that part wrong, but, but I follow him and anytime I see something come through my feed that's from him, He's thinking a lot about the place of artificial intelligence in education and everything he's, he says, um, I have found a spot on. In fact, I've sought out some, uh, podcasts where he's been a guest and people have interviewed him and all of that has been really good. So zooming away from artificial intelligence just a little bit. There's, there's another book I've been starting to listen to, uh, on audiobook called Scarcity Brain okay. by Michael Easter. I, I just stumbled upon it in um, Spotify, so I'll be interested to see. But the the beginning of it has me really thinking about, you know, a lot of the places where I wrestle with scarcity in my life. Like, for instance, um, with time, I've always tried to kind of like battle staying healthy and eating and balancing calories and stuff. And I find, um, you know, I always get into that scarcity brain of, oh, am I going to be hungry if I don't eat right now? Just like little little things like that, and then the last thing I've been consuming a lot of recently, um, judge if you want, I don't care. <laughs> it is November fifteenth while we're recording this, and I've been listening to Christmas music. And and how early did you start? That's the real question we all want to know. Uh, maybe a week ago. <laughs> like it's it's been ongoing. My I think my wife loves Christmas music more than I do, so it was kind of on already, but I didn't. I did already, I will say, and I think this might be a first for me, I did already see two Christmas trees. One of them when I was walking my dogs, I wouldn't have noticed it in the Mm -hmm. daytime, but I was on my evening walk with them. So it was already dark. And um, the block right behind me across the street, I saw an apartment on the top floor had all its lights out and their tree was up and lit. And I was like, wow, it's Christmas tree. And then I saw one on Twitter this morning, someone had shared a picture of a book that they 
just got in, in the back. There was just their hands holding the book, but in the back was a silhouette of a Christmas tree. <laughs> I was like, wow. Um, that's like the earliest I've ever seen it. But you know what that is? And we, we like to poke fun at like, you know, for years now, like the earlier and earlier that people start to latch onto Christmas. But that's all of that humanity stuff. It all goes back to we latch onto these traditions because we don't have them in any other. This is the biggest you know, this is the time of year where we have all of those patterns and things that, you know, we know our ancestors did or or whatever the case may be in your individual experience. But it, there's a bit of like real life comfort in all of that stuff. It's it's the it's the most tangible time of the year, right? Yes. And and then um we just would like to ask you to let people know where they can find you. Oh, yeah. So uh, best place to go is the Ditch That Textbook website. That's where I've been sharing practical teaching ideas for more than 10 years at this point. You can find all of my uh, social media links and everything there. In fact, I've got a, uh, a email newsletter that we send out three times a week with practical teaching ideas in your inbox that you can use in class tomorrow. And the easiest way to join that is just to go to ditchthattextbook.com slash join. And we'd love to have you there. That's where I, that's where I share all of my best stuff first. So um, that's, that's probably the best place to get connected with me. Cool. And on Twitter and in, is, are you mostly a Twitter guy? You're not really. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mostly a Twitter guy. Yeah. On Twitter, I'm at J Matt Miller. That's the letter J Matt with two T's Miller. Cool. Well, that is, I think, I mean, we could probably talk another hour about humans and then people will be like, I'm turning this off. (laughs) But um, that's the nature of what I love about doing the show. We could just snowball it into whatever it becomes and then bring it back to where where we need it to be. So thanks so much for stopping by my make-believe coffee uh, studio today. (laughs) And I brought the coffee too. How about that? Thanks to Matt Miller for joining me in the studio for this fun, exploratory, helpful conversation. His approach to thinking and talking about the future is one that all of us would benefit from embracing a bit more. And I think it's a really healthy way to take advantage of what we have and can do in the present to make our lives better, but also consistently and constantly being aware of what we have to look towards. Anyway, such a great time, and I hope everyone out there enjoyed it as well. You can reach Matt at matt at ditchthattextbook.com or on Twitter at jmattmiller. Additionally, thanks to everyone who has been reaching out to us for feedback on the show. Please consider letting us know what you think by leaving a review or even a rating in Apple Podcasts. And you can reach me on Twitter at scandela9. The hashtag optimalist can be used anywhere when posting answers to questions that we ask especially if you can't find the original post, and I'll be sure to see it. I can also be reached personally at sarah at swivel.com. You can listen and subscribe to the Optimalist podcast wherever you love listening to great podcasts. New episodes are released every Wednesday and links to all of these resources are available in the show notes. The Optimalist podcast is brought to you by Swivel. At Swivel, We understand that the biggest challenge in education is the rate of change. Policy revisions, technological advancements, accelerated by AI, evolving job markets, and ongoing research constantly identifying new best practices are only some of the factors affecting the rate of change in education. To learn how Swivel can help you be more reflective, engaged, and adaptable, visit swivel.com. 
And you can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Thanks for listening to The Optimalist today. And I will be back next week with a new conversation.